All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer Brandon Newman, Isaiah in the Desert, my dad, Mike Golick Sr. And, uh, Dad, we got a great show for everybody today. Download, subscribe, rate, review. We're hoping to talk to Bengal star wide receiver Jamar Chase. Um, he's part of a new commercial he's got coming out here. And, obviously, he plays wide receiver for one of the best teams in the best conference. So, we're jacked up about that. Make sure everyone downloads, subscribe, rate, review. Five-star rating. DraftKings YouTube. DraftKingsNetwork.com if you want to watch that one live. Although, if you're watching live, you'd know that already. So, I'm shouting into the ether. But, um... <laughs> Dad, good God almighty, I feel like the only thing everyone's in the, talking about in the sports world right now is the fact that The Blind Side, the movie about Michael Orr and the Tui family and them supposedly rescuing him from squalor appears to have all been a sham as yesterday we get the bombshell bit of reporting on the subject here. Uh, ESPN reporter Michael Fletcher reporting that retired NFL star Michael Orr, whose supposed adoption out of grinding poverty by the wealthy white family immortalized in the 2009 movie, was a lie concocted by the family to enrich itself at his expense. He filed a 14-page petition in Shelby County, Tennessee probate court alleging that Sean and Leanne Tui, who took Orr into their home as a high school student, never actually adopted him. Instead... Less than three months after Orr turned 18 in, November, in 2014, the petition says the couple tricked him into signing a document, making them his conservators, which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his name. Dad, after the whole conservatorship saga with Britney Spears, I feel like we're all a lot more familiar with that word, but I did not expect it to pop up in this situation. Yeah, I, listen, I didn't either. I mean, you have to... We all watched that movie and, and, and I mean... Stood and applauded. Sandra Bullock, who was fantastic, won, won an award for that. The movie was up for Best uh, Picture. 
it it cost thirty million to make and made over three hundred million alone on, on the on the big screen, let alone rentals and all that. And we'll get into that because that's going to be an important part of it. And listen, it it all seemed. It, I think it's one of those things where. Kind of like Rudy, and I'm not going to ruin it for everybody in Rudy because it's a very moving and inspirational story where a lot of it is true, but a lot of it is some of it is Hollywood and made up drama to make it, you know, play better on the big screen and on TV. And you could say the same thing for the blind side, right? A lot of it was true. Uh, Some of it certainly exaggerated and or made up for Hollywood. But then you add the third category of, there was some flat out lying going on uh, in there as well. And I think you said it, you said it best generally when we talked about this yesterday in our meeting is it's a term I know you use a lot. We use a lot. Hey, show me the receipts, you know, whether in, in, in some cases it's just verbal receipts, whatever. In this case, man, you're going to be able to see it, right? I mean, Leanne Tui said, we split the money from the movie five ways. Michael Orr said, I didn't get a dime from it. I mean, there's going to be proof of a lot of things here that had to be documented, right? In, in, in some of these situations, we see, well, it's he said, he said, or he said, she said, or whatever. In this one, while there may be some of that, there's got to be some documentation that is going to prove one way or the other of what's going on, because... In all honesty, there's there's a lot of questions on both sides, but the Tuies, man, I mean, if this is even close to being true, you know what they have done is just, I mean, and I know they've been getting dragged in Twitter. Not that Twitter is the end all be all of of you know people, you know, judge, jury, and execution are all in one, but wow, some of the things they're being accused of, you just you just kind of shake your head and said, oh my god. <laughs> According to the legal filing, the movie paid the Tuies and their two birth children each $225,000 plus 2.5% of the film's defined net proceeds. You mentioned all the success it has. Um, the Tuies deny that they made that much money off the movie. I've seen Sean and SJ have both done interviews at various outlets about that stuff. And, Dad, you're right about the conversation around the twoies. The one thing that's become abundantly clear is it seems like people around that area who have been exposed to the twoies for a while have kind of been waiting on this because that section of uh, the population appears to be loudly voicing some of their opinions on what they actually think of that family. But dad, it's hard to look at this situation and not think of like the NCAA model as the whole that we've sort of been breaking down in recent years, right? Because again, when you zoom in on a lot of the specifics of this situation, I think a lot of us were willing to not let the truth get in the way of a good story back when this movie came out. And I mean, it's 2009, so I'm a college freshman. It's a lot more passive experience for a lot of people. The Michael Lewis portion of it, who again, wrote the book that this was all based off of, might have a little bit more to answer as we reckon with, hey, looking at Johnny Manziel and the fact that in that documentary we found out his family wasn't oil rich in the ways that they claimed and nobody checked on that. The Manti Teo documentary where back in 2012 nobody in the media felt like digging in further on the identity of the girlfriend that Manti was talking about and finding any of that out. And now you've got Michael Lewis who we find out was high school buddies with Sean Tuohy who he wrote the book about all of a sudden may have presented things in a way that people don't really see as genuine. Now you might have some people that have to answer some questions, but when you look at the rest of all this, what you end up with is regardless of the specifics and the money, because dad, like you mentioned, 
with the financials of this, we could find out a different story at some point. We could find out more specifics about what's being alleged. I, I don't deny that that's a possible outcome in, a, in all of this. But what's at the heart of this is there are multiple people around Michael Orr that have made their money or reputation off of the version of the truth that was told in that book and in that movie. Like, you look at the people around him. His high school coach at Briarcrest was Hugh Freeze, who got his job at Ole Miss. It seems almost directly off Michael Orr going there. In 2005, Michael's freshman year, Hugh Freeze was also hired uh, in an assistant role on that team and then ended up parlaying that into the rest of his college coaching career. That was the first college job that Hugh Freeze had gotten at that point. You look at the Tuies, who, yes, sold a bunch of fast food chains that they all owned. And certainly had a bunch of money. I think I saw upwards of over $200 million that they might have had. But still are now revered and talked about in the ways that they are, are famous solely because of Michael Orr and this movie. And so you have all of that on and on down the list. For the truth inside the movie, the dad, Michael Orr's been telling us for years he didn't like. Telling us for years, hey, I didn't like them presenting me as this feeble-minded idiot who learned football at a table from a kid that was however many years younger than me there. Michael Orr, as this has all been pointed out and everyone's talked about pretty honestly, was 18 years old when he was brought in by the Tuies. And at the crux of this, you have the conservatorship idea, which you can Google adult adoption in Tennessee. I saw Sean Tuie basically say, hey, a lawyer told us that the two that uh, we can't adopt him because he's an adult, and so this is the easiest way to do things. You can Google search and find law firms in Tennessee that'll tell you adult adoption is easier than the other version of adoption in the state of Tennessee. And so finding the truth in all that, Dad, and basically what everyone involved was comfortable with putting out as the truth in order to all benefit while Michael or inside that had his reputation I wouldn't say slandered, but certainly altered, and he felt the effects of that, even if he was also enjoying the fruits of his labor as a football right. player that the movie had nothing to do with. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what, what he had said. All this was kind of going on with the concern, you know, the, the things that were going on while he ended up going into the NFL, and then, you know, he, had, he was dealing with all that, so really kind of forgot about it until six months ago. As we had talked about him finding out about the conservatorship, and really quick, and I don't want to go deep in the weeds, but the difference of a conservatorship and adoption. Uh, if Orr had been adopted by the Tuies, he would have been a legal member of their family and he would have retained the power to handle his own financial affairs under the conservatorship or surrendered that authority to the Tuies, even though he was a legal adult with no known physical or psychological disability. So there is a difference there. And I find it hard to believe you know, that the Tuies didn't know that when they were doing it. And then, you know, as far as the money is concerned, you're going to hear different things. As I mentioned, 30 million to make, 300 million at the box office, and then there were other ways it made money. And they got 225,000, supposedly, the Tuies and the two children, and 2.5% net proceeds. All told, that comes out to like $4.6 million for each of the four. And, but, but as you mentioned, we're going to know soon. Leanne Toohey said it was split five ways. Michael Orr said it was he never got any money. So the truth's coming out somewhere. What you said early on, I think, is going to be an interesting thing. Is people were waiting to kind of slam on the Tuohys a little bit, uh, who knew a little more about them than we all did from the outside looking in. So this is going to be really, really interesting where it ends up going once papers and legal documents start to come out.
Yep, but I, I, I think even regardless of the financials in this, what they knew and when and what they were willing to gain off the backs of this young man is still at the crux of this. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Dan, I think the biggest thing with the Tuies and Michael Orr and all of this is there's going to be an understandable focus on the dollars and cents because that's the headline and the crux of this story as we're getting it right now. But it's really about the reputation of one man in the middle of all this and Michael Orr how he feels about that and what the people around him that were supposed to have his best interest in mind, that were supposed to be his family, were comfortable perpetuating as the truth in all of this in order to have gain. Because whether it was from this movie or what they've done since, and make no mistake, the Tuies are a known commodity because of this story since then. What they were comfortable with there on his name is really at the crux of all of this for me. Michael Orr went on Jim Rome the other day and was talking about Kind of how he wants to be remembered, because I think we look and say, oh, well, you know, and we heard this criticism from even actors in the movie when he spoke out back in the day about not liking the way he was portrayed is, hey, man, you're famous off this now. That dude's famous because he's good at football. Like, this movie right. certainly pushed his name to a different stratosphere, but every dollar he made playing in the NFL and then all the success after that for a family that, again, I didn't know this, Sean Tui apparently one of the better basketball players in Ole Miss history. Like, we knew the connection there, but that starts to feel a little bit more insidious as we go along that you get a guy who's in the Ole Miss Basketball Hall of Fame, had all these connections, and then had Hugh Freeze, who also ends up getting a job directly off all this. You see that, and then you see how Michael feels in the middle of this, and this was him on Jim Rome the other day actually explaining how he wants to be remembered, and I think the feelings that are at the core of this. I think it took away the hard work and the dedication that I created uh, from a child and going to school in the third grade, getting myself up, first one in the locker room, last one out. Uh, and I think the biggest for me is, you know, being portrayed, uh, not being able to read or write. Uh, second grade, I was doing plays and for in front of the school. And I, I think that's one of the, 
when you go into a locker room and your teammates don't think that you can learn a playbook, you know, that weighs heavy. And I understand that the movie has given me a position. I'm honored to have the position it's given me, but, you know, you have to understand before I moved in with the family, I was an All-American. That's what I want the generations behind me to see in this book right here, to understand that you don't have to come have someone save you and rescue you to go out and be successful. And it's, it's Michael Orr pushing back at the white savior complex that got sold in this movie, Dad. And that's, I think, been the source of discomfort for a lot of people. I know I've seen a lot of people of color pointing out that this movie kind of felt distrustful from the jump. And maybe there was a lot of us, especially in our community, that were a little more willing to overlook that, especially at the yeah. time and place. But you can see in there this idea. He's saying, I was a lot more self-made than they wanted me portrayed in that movie. And for everyone involved to be comfortable with his discomfort in that entire idea because of what it gave them, to me is the feeling ultimately in the middle of this that regardless of what we figure out about the specifics of the dollars and cents, feels pretty messed up for everyone in that family involved. Yeah, it's just as we're finding out moves that were made, again, conservatorship over adoption, and then them kind of living that on their backs when Leanne Tui's going out and doing speeches about their adoptive son. You know, and, and if in fact it's true what what's being said now, lying about it and making money off of it. The fact that the deal for the movie, the four, the, the Tui parents and the two kids, they were dealing with CAA. And Michael Orr was dealing with Deborah Brannon, a family friend, as they were, they were let him use as his agent. Why, why couldn't he be with them, with CAA? Why did it have to be a separate person that was a friend of the Tui family? And oh, by the way, the same lady that did the whole conservatorship deal before that. And now she's supposedly the one representing Michael away from the family who is being represented by CAA for the movie. You start seeing little things like that and you're wondering, yeah, this, this feel good, great, you know, everybody could kumbaya and give a great hug story is like filled with, wait a minute. Okay. You're helping this kid, but what are you doing? You know, all of a sudden it's starting to flip a little bit to what was in it for you. And how could you capitalize off the back of this young man who was a great football player and you found a way to capitalize on that? Which, it, it, it's boy, it starts to make you, if, if this, this stuff starts coming out that is true, starts to make you want to take a shower. You know, everything feels a little bit dirty and you're like, boy, oh boy, you just, what, what a square look in the face to that Tui family if this in fact turns out to be true. That's why I think the NCAA is a really great comp for this situation, and you wonder why so many former players have always sort of warred against the idea of what it represents. It's not because there's not gratitude there. Like Michael Orr, even in the extended part of that interview, expressed gratitude for the Tui's giving him a home and for the kinship right. over the years and certainly things like that. But you can have that while also looking like you said it, Hey, everyone else is getting a lot out of my name and what they're purporting is my story without really considering how I feel about this. And it sounds like not considering how much I would like to make from my own story. And if that'd be something that's interesting to me, and in some cases it sounds like here the accusation and the allegation is actively keeping him from profiting all that. It sounds like yeah. big-time college athletics. And so it's something that starts to sound a little more familiar to everyone as we go along, Dad, and we finally have... 
more people from the other side, in this case, Michael Orr, and in our larger case, athletes across the country willing to speak out about their experience with things, all of a sudden, now that we're not getting it from one side who, like you said, has a vested interest in this story continuing to be the story that everybody buys, you start to really feel differently about all of this, and I think rightly look at a lot of different institutions sideways. Yeah, listen, I, I completely agree. Uh, and, and again, Sean Tui, I believe, made the statement of what that that he's he's uh, disappointed that it's come out like this, and, and and basically saying it's not true. Well, well, again, going all the way back to the beginning of this, we're going to find out, right? We're we're going to find out by legal documents what went on and why the conservatorship and not adoption and what seemed like a great story of helping a young man out when he needed the most help and then the young man going on and doing great things and then all of a sudden you profiting off of that is just it it, it just gets uglier and uglier it seems as our friend Trey Wingo used to say there will be lawyers and based on this we know the Tuies and Michael won't be using the same ones (laughs) the NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, before we get to our conversation with Bengals wideout Jamar Chase, dad from one offensive lineman looking for money he rightly deserves to another getting it. Zach Martin, money in the bank yesterday, baby. Bet on himself, told the Cowboys, I'm not showing up to camp and you can shove it. And how does it end? Well, according to ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, Zach Martin and the Cowboys reached a new deal yesterday per sources. It'll pay him north of $18 million a year in the next two years. He was scheduled to make 13.5 and 14 per year each of the next two years. So it's about $8.5 million official uh, of additional dollars that both years have been fully guaranteed. So Daddy stuck to his guns and Jerry Jones talking yeah. all that nonsense about we need money to pay Micah Parsons and all these guys. Uh, yeah, that went out the window pretty quickly when it's the future first ballot guy. Yeah, well, you, you, you can find money as, as in businesses as well. You can find money when you want to pay somebody. And, you know, to Zach's credit, Zach said, listen, it's when Jerry Jones and I got to talk face-to-face. Because uh, we know Zach Martin isn't playing anything through the media. That's not the kind of guy he is, and he won't do it. So when he and Jerry Jones got face-to-face and talked about things, and what was interesting is this year and next year, which was $27.5 million, none of it was guaranteed. Now, certainly he was going to get paid this year, but you never know about next year if he would have got injured or whatever. Now he went to the next two years of $36 million fully guaranteed. 
So he did himself a favor. Now, now listen, he's got a million dollars coming off that and fines that you can't rescind anymore. But certainly the trade-off worked out well for him. And the Cowboys are getting their best. And make no mistake, the Cowboys are getting their best player. Well, I guess you can... You may go back and forth between he and Micah Parsons, who the best player on that team is. But right now they have one walk-in Hall of Famer, and that's Zach Martin. And he's back in the fold, and they desperately needed that. So good on him. Yeah, you make exceptions when it's the best player at his position. And Zach reestablished that last year. He had been a little bit banged up in the couple years before. Back in the saddle, and so you do whatever it takes because you're also in a very tight window right now where with your core here, if you're Jerry Jones, you can't afford to be taking steps back. So congratulations to Zach and for cooler heads prevailing in Dallas. Dad, we did have some of the running backs come off the market yesterday too. Dalvin Cook signs a one-year, $8.5 million deal with the Jets. And Ezekiel Elliott, the former Cowboy, signs a one-year deal worth up to $6 million in incentives that includes a $3 million base salary with the Patriots. So does either of those jump off the page more than the other for you? Oh, uh, Dalvin Cook for sure. I mean, even though they said Brees Hall, again, who would have been the offensive uh, rookie of the year, I believe, and his teammate Garrett Wilson ended up winning it. Brees Hall was having a monster year before the ACL. And while they said he should be ready to go by week one, anyone going back to Adrian Peterson, you know, and he came back in seven months, forget that. That's an abnormality. It's going to take a while for Brees Hall. And, you know, the rest of their their running back room, we're not really sure about. Dalvin Cook, we pretty much are. I know he's coming off of a shoulder. Uh, and it'll be another week before he starts practicing. But I think that's a great one-two punch for a team that went out and got Aaron Rodgers, has a, a top-tier defense, and now added a nice piece on offense. So I definitely think the Cook signing more than the Zeke Elliott signing in New England has, could have a bigger implication on where the Jets end up at the end of the year. And uh, when timing is interesting. Uh, just saw Brees Hall set to be back on the field today for the New York Jets a yeah. day after this signing. So amazing how quickly that happens. But also, it's great timing for them. I've heard plenty of people mention it, but Aaron Rodgers had a lot of success in Green Bay with a two-back system, with two quality yes. guys that can help each other. And for a young player like Brees Hall to have someone like Dalvin Cook, who has been a veteran this in this league, in that room, definitely helpful there. I can hear fantasy owners for him, for Ramondre Stevenson, though, shouting at the heavens because their lives yeah. just got a lot more difficult setting lineups now. Yeah, this is where we are. We're in dual back backfield, so you really got to be careful in the fantasy of where you're taking a guy. Is he more of a pass catcher or a runner? One thing we know is it certainly hasn't helped the overall status of running backs, right? Dalvin Cook is coming off, what, four years of 1,200 yards and got cut for salary cap reasons, basically, and now is making less than what would have been what was the franchise tag number of $10 million. He can make up to $8 million. So, again, you're putting this all on the Brees Halls of the world and the Bajan Robinsons of the world, the next up-and-coming running backs. Can they get that market to go back up for them? Yeah, it's a great point. It's a, it's a really... Uh... Uh, damning cap on the running back conversation we've had this offseason to see two guys of this caliber because Zeke still has something to offer a team but at three million dollars base salary we see how that is viewed by the rest of the league as they both land in a spot where they're no doubt going to be helpful and extremely right. valuable assets to the team this season uh someone else who's going to be a very valuable asset to his sure. team <laughs> is Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase we got a chance to sit down and talk to him about the upcoming season his expectations and getting the proper sleep. Here he is.
All right, very excited to welcome Bengals all-world wide receiver Jamar Chase to the program here. Jamar is here on behalf of Sleep Numbers. Got some great stuff that he's doing with them. We're excited to hear about. And I think the commercial's actually dropping today, Jamar. It's you and Justin Jefferson, your old teammate, and the Vikings wide out here. Which of you is the better actor? I know you guys go back and forth about who's the better receiver, but who'd you find out is the better actor after this? Uh, I definitely don't know. You know what I'm saying? We definitely had some slip-up on some scenes, so it was funny. I was going to say, we're going to get some outtakes from that. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) I doubt it. Awesome. Well, listen, uh, all joking aside here, we're excited to hear about that. But uh, I'd imagine for you guys, you know, big picture, you and Justin are sort of tied together at the hip just because of being college teammates, everything you guys did together at LSU with Joe here. What's it been like for you watching his success as he's gone on to the NFL? I know he got there a year before you. Uh, yeah, it's fun watching him, man. Uh, since I've been on him so long, watching him came in from LSU, watching him grow. Um, you know what I'm saying? So it's definitely he took a big step, I felt like. And, you know, from his senior year, to, from his junior year, um, you know, I seen him grow it, like tremendously. So uh, I definitely watched him put in the work for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm a former D lineman. My son's a former O lineman. So there's, it's a little different. There's not a lot of stats involved in that. From your position, we hear like running backs or wide receivers, quarterbacks. Do you, not just Justin, because he was a, a friend and a former teammate, but other top receivers, do you keep an eye on what they're doing and compare it to you? Uh, I wouldn't say I keep an eye out for it. You know what I'm saying? If it's like a certain move, I might see somebody make uh, like a certain type of route that the way they set them up, I might you know, try to learn from it, take it a little bit. So uh, to that regard, as you're getting ready for this upcoming season, you've already accomplished so much so early in your career. What are the things you're working on to try and still improve? Oh, uh, yeah, man, it's a whole lot of room for me to improve. You know, I still got a lot of space to get better. Um, I'm still young, so, you know what I'm saying? Just learning, still learning offense a lot more. Um, you know, just making myself more useful as possible. The, the one thing I've noticed, I've, I've had the good fortune to play with and against great players and Hall of Famers. And one thing I found common in all of them is they're not satisfied where they are. What what's what's more? What's next? So your stats have been incredible for the first two years. But in your mind, what's more for you to be able to do for this team? Yeah, definitely a lot. Um, probably have a big role. You know what I'm saying? Got to make more contested catches. Um you know what I'm saying? So just the the things that I, I didn't all the way have or all the way didn't succeed in that year, you know what I'm saying? That's what I want to bring to the table this year, you know, all of that. Uh listen, part of your guys' success has also been the guy throwing you the football who you've known since college. And he's got the most important calf in the Midwest right now. So (laughs) how is Joe Burrow doing? And are are you personally keeping tabs on his rehab? You've obviously made a lot of news saying you really want him to hold off until he's ready to come back. So how is he doing? Yeah, uh, I still don't know exactly how he's doing. You know, I see him in a building every here and there. Uh, He's been at practice a little bit too. So uh, I'll never ask him how, how, you know, how the treatment going. You know, I've always got him in my prayers. And just make sure he's going through the right process right now. But you you would you would rather him wait longer than shorter, right? To get back on the field just to make sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Just to make sure he's back hundred. Um, you know, the team really needs him. You know what I'm saying? He knows he's a special player for us. And you know, it's, it's not much for me to say here, but he, he knows. So, you know, just take his time, get back and be hundred. 
What is, I'm curious, since you've known him for so long now, what's been the biggest difference you've seen between the Joe Burrow you knew and caught passes from in college and the Joe Burrow that you've got now in Cincinnati? Um, I'll just say more of the emphasis on him being a quarterback. He knows what he wants. You know what I'm saying? I know when we were younger, we just talk about what we're seeing. You know what I'm saying? Now we're talking about what we want and how we want it. I think that's the biggest key uh, from transitioning from college to highest, from college to the league. What you have given um, Cincinnati fans who are used to being in a bad way, and listen, I'm from Cleveland, so I grew up watching the Browns be in a bad way for a lot of years. So now the fans are so hyped with what's going on. And what's interesting, and and I know Joe had brought it up, but you guys seem to bring the, we don't care what the past history was with this team. We're in it for the now. How how are you able to do that? And what's the reaction been when you see fans out, out on the street or out in public? Yeah, man, Cincinnati's been going great, man, honestly. Uh, the fans here love it. Um, we just actually had a, uh, a talk with with Gary, and he was saying how much the, f- the fans mean to us out here. You know, we probably don't know that as much, but you know, it, it definitely shows by them waiting in a line just for practice. You know, sitting out there for an hour and a half just waiting for us to watch practice. It, it really has been incredible. We were just out there not long ago, and you can feel the energy around the city. And, and Jamar, does part of it feel like a sense of urgency? You guys have such a great core on offense. We know you and the rest of the receivers are really close, but you know Joe Burrow is getting ready for an extension possibly here. I know T. Higgins is due some money and eligible for that extension. You're going to be in that conversation soon. I, is there any part of you that's worried about you guys being able to keep the band together once everyone's got to get paid? Um. I don't know, man. It'll, it'll probably happen eventually, you know what I'm saying? It's a lot going on. It's a lot of processes. Um, I'm not going to talk too much on it because I, I ain't there yet. Uh, I ain't going to talk about everybody else's process. But, you know, it's always a long process, and, you know, it's God's control, you know what I'm saying? You're going to do so much. Well, it's going to be a fun process for you. That, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, there's no doubt about that. How about, listen, we know what the team goal is every year, and that's to not only get to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl, and you had that opportunity uh, and experience your your rookie year to at least be there. So we know that's the team goal. How about you as an individual? Do you set individual goals for yourself each year? And if so, what what would they be? Yeah, I do set individual goals. Uh, I write goals down on my on my mirror in our bathroom every day. Not every day, but beginning of the season, just myself. Um, you know, some intake on what I want to do coming into the season. But uh, for the main thing I know right now is just getting those um, 112 catches in a season, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that's my biggest thing I want to do is just break that record that Cincinnati has. I just keep myself going and pushing forward. And, and I know for you last year, part of the story was injury. Your dad said you're ticked off coming into this season. Is that because you missed some games last year? <laughs> and my dad always know how to start some fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's hey, what listen, we do, I, Jamar. That's I know what we pain. do. I know the <laughs> Uh, a little bit, man. Just, you know what I'm saying? Just got to show off how, uh, what I really could do still. You know what I'm saying? I was starting off so good last year. Who knows how to finish? Uh, nothing would have went down the right way. So, of course. So, uh, the other thing that was out there, because you're such great players, the, the a little bit of back and forth with you and Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs. He has a podcast with his brother, and that's a, there's a lot of current players in all sports, Draymond Green being the one real popular one as well in basketball. Is there ever a thought of you, that way you can kind of answer all this stuff back and forth if you had your own podcast. Is there ever a thought of doing that while you're playing? 
Uh, no, nah, probably not. I know I'll be. <laughs> I know you get overwhelmed. I know y'all get overwhelmed with the questions, so I can just imagine how um, Travis gets with those questions, and I'm sure he's not reading all those questions. That's getting the same thing, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's just how you want to do it. I don't think I'll, I'll do anything like that. All right, so we're not breaking the news of the announcement of uh, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson's podcast coming out anytime soon. But uh, you guys have had, listen, great back and forth between you guys this offseason. Obviously, on field, that's been one of the better rivalries in the NFL since you all got there. Why have you guys had their number in a way most other teams haven't? Uh, I don't know, man. I guess it's the work ethic, man. You know, we push each other our whole college experience. So, you know, we came in with it on our minds, I guess, you know, and I uh, went to a great college, too, so the work ethic was there, too. Um, you know, just being blessed with God's abilities that he gave us, you know, and, and just working hard, man. You know, that's, that's what got us here. Please tell me this, though. Outside of quarterbacks who get to wear red jerseys, and I played with a few quarterbacks who said they enjoyed training camp, please tell me you hate training camp. <laughs> it's definitely a little toll, man. You know, you don't really get all days off in a week. You always work in every day. You might have two day off days throughout the week. So depends on how your coach got it set up. And, and listen, training camp for you guys this year is some new faces, especially ones you see directly in practice. A lot of your secondary on defense is new this year. Some moves made over the off season. Are there any of those guys that have stuck out to you so far that people are really going to enjoy seeing get their opportunity this year in Cincinnati? Yeah, um, man, I like DJ, our cornerback. You know what I'm saying? I'm 20. We got two DJs too, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I like DJ, man. DJ looks good. You know, he's played the ball in the air. He got make-up speed. You know, he, he looks real good, especially as a rookie coming in. So, you know, I, I can't wait to see what he does. We, we have seen other wide receivers and cornerbacks in practice, on the same team in practice, make friendly bets about what's going to happen in one-on-ones in, or seven-on-seven situations. Do you do that with any of your cornerbacks, or do they not really want to get involved in that with you? <laughs> now nah, we don't really do none of that stuff. Uh, I wish we did, though. I need to get somebody like that, but that would be fun. <laughs> what about what about in your wide receiver room? I heard T. Higgins say the other day, blood couldn't make you guys any closer in that room. What stands out to you about him and Tyler Boyd and the other guys that are a part of this great room you guys have? Yeah, man, they're not selfish, you know what I'm saying? They know how to put the work in. I don't know. That's one thing about those guys that I like. You know, with T, man, he comes in work every day, ready to work. Doesn't matter what he's going through. And uh, TB, man, he, he's been in the league so long that he knows how to attack the day with the same energy. So, you know what I'm saying? Guys like that, uh, it's good to have around, you know, and good, and good people. So you guys have great people on the team. We obviously want to hear about what you're doing with Sleep Number, but I would remiss one more if I didn't ask you a question about your coach, Zach Taylor, I don't feel like anyone knows anything about your guys' head coach, despite all the success that you have had in Cincinnati. So what's one thing about your head coach that people might be surprised to learn that you've noticed through the last couple of seasons with him? Yeah, I could just say one thing off that. I don't know if everybody has seen it from the media, but he loves giving all uh, the footballs after the football games, um, especially after when he goes to certain bars and, you know, just – gives back to the community and the city and you know he loves that type of thing so that's that's real good for Zach. all right zach taylor man of the people we love yeah. that uh <laughs> jamar chase is a man of sleep you are here on behalf of sleep number and i'd imagine during training camp that is very important so can you tell us about what you got going on with them yeah sleep number uh invited me on this collab shout out to sleep number for giving me a chance to do it all right it was a fun commercial man just getting the opportunities to be up there and with the cast and the crew 
and, and just learn about sleep number. Uh, that's why it's giving me one of the best sleep right now. You know, it's going throughout the league, um, giving away good, good mattresses to make sure athletes sleep good. There we go. It's the most important thing during this time of year, making sure everyone gets the proper rest and you guys in sleep number are helping make that happen. So Jamar, we really appreciate it. We hope you can get some more rest before you got to get out to practice today. Thanks so much, man. And best of luck this season. We're looking forward to watching you guys. Thank you. I'm off by the way. So I'm going oh, right good. there we go. Even better, man. Enjoy the <laughs> Enjoy the Enjoy it, man. Thanks. Thanks, Jamar. All right. Dan, I think my biggest takeaway from that is that Zach Taylor is so nondescript looking that he can just slip into bars after games to watch other football and have no one actually bother him. It is very cool seeing pictures of him when he goes into the bar with the football and how much, listen, the fans have been craving, you know, great teams and winning teams and they haven't gotten it. So, man, the, the last couple of years for them have been incredible and to have your head coach be kind of a man of the people going out there is all very cool. And and listen, your, your question is the one that's going to come up. Do they have enough money, you know, to pay, especially the, uh, the offensive triple threat of Burrow and Higgins and Jamar Chase? Jamar can't even, can't renegotiate till after this season off his rookie deal, but they're going to have some money to spend and some decisions to make, no doubt about it. Yep, and the one we all keep waiting on is Joe Burrow. You know, we've seen this talked about relative to Dak Prescott, who's got a $60 million cap hit next year and some renegotiating that probably has to go or reworking there and probably something you want to get done before the Joe Burrow deal because we've seen with each one of these that stack up, it's only getting harder and harder for every quarterback to go out there and get a deal done with their team when you've got these contracts continuing to bloat and add on to the last one. All I have to say is all my contracts were really kind of, you know, helpful to the cap and team friendly. <laughs> you just give, you give. That's right in the sweet spot where you want to be here. You don't want the problems that come with being one of these high paid guys. I've always said that. All right, let's get to this, that, and the third. Finish off the day with three quick stories. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, check us out, leave us that five-star rating, and make sure you support our friends at Knock Around. Your fight against the sun does not have to be a battle you wage alone. Knock around your go-to for high-quality polarized shades that aren't going to break the bank. They're going to make sure you look good, whether that's maybe out catching a Major League Baseball game. They've got the first nine teams of their MLB collection out there. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, the Seattle Mariners, a ton of great teams that you can sport there. You can still support the home team, the U.S. men's and women's national team's official sunglasses also over at knockaround.com. So make sure you're not the one staring into the sun, squinting up there, getting sand out of your overpriced shades. Go to knockaround.com. Great high-quality polarized shade starting at just $28. And use code GOLIC at checkout for free shipping on your order. Dad, uh, let's get to this. It was announced this morning per ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, that Anthony Richardson, the rookie for the Indianapolis Colts, has been named the starting quarterback according to their head coach Shane Steichen. Not surprising, Dad, we've now seen C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson all named the day one starters. And I think especially for Anthony, we talked about this with Trey Lance the other day, he needs reps at game speed more than any of these other quarterbacks. And so I think understanding, yeah, Gardner Minshew might offer you a little bit more of a floor at the beginning. I think it's important they get a start on investing in their future future now I think this is the right move I have never had a problem with a team starting a rookie quarterback right out of the gate I know there's some 
you know, former quarterbacks who are analysts now that have a problem with that. I don't. I am all for if this is going to be your guy and you're, listen, their team, I, I don't, the expectation isn't very high for this team, given what went on last year and the conference that they're in. Get your eyes watered, your nose bloodied right now. I have no problem with that at all. If if the game starts moving too fast or it gets to be a little too much, you can sit him for a bit. You have a vet in Gardner Minshew to go in there and take the control. But I am and another reason I like this, Mike, is doing it now. Now everybody knows he's he's the quarterback of this team, right? In the huddle, everybody knows he's the guy. So you're starting to work with him, the timing with him, the receivers, and the offensive line, and the calls. We already knew that that blitz there was not good communication with the right tackle and he, uh, where he threw the interception. Well, now you have time to work through that. Give him all the one reps, and that's how it works when you're the starter. You get the high majority of reps, and so he gets the practice time as well as the game time to learn. So I, I have zero problem. I am all for a move like this. Well, it's especially important, too, because him and Gardner Minshew, I cannot imagine, are running the same offense in practice. And so to your point for the rest of the offense and the fairness and continuity, you've got to give them a chance to run the plays. And quite honestly, Dad, for an offensive line that's got to have a major rebound year, Jonathan Taylor's situation, that backfield being in flux, having a quarterback that's that big of a value add in the run game only helps the entirety of the rest of that offense. Yeah, completely agree. Listen, it's set up to see what the future is going to look like for that offense with hopefully an offensive line that rebounds and gets back to at least more to what they were than what they showed last year to kind of like the threat of the Jalen Hurts and what Miles Sanders was last year uh, to a running attack where it can be the running back or it can be the quarterback. Now, uh, we know Anthony Richardson can run, but the passing part of it, we know he can pass, but there's passing in a college game and a pro game of, of, of tighter windows, of quicker reads that he has to make, pre-snap reads, post-snap reads. So getting as many reps as he can with that, but I just like the fact that he is in there now. It's a double threat with him to be able to run and or pass. And big enough to take the blows, too. That's one thing. We don't have to ask the questions that we ask about Bryce Young, one of his counterparts there. He's a guy who I think, as people got familiar watching him leading up to the draft, more polished than he got credit for in college. But some things only get better when you see them happen live. That's going to get a chance to happen now. Uh, Dad, let's get to that. We have reached a major milestone in our nation's history. We got a documentary about an offensive lineman getting set to come out this fall. Jason Kelsey, the Eagles All-World Center, going to be the subject of a documentary called Kelsey that'll be a feature-length uh, release on Amazon Prime Video just ahead of this year's kickoff for Thursday Night Football. It's going to chronicle the formation of his podcast, obviously their run-up to the Super Bowl appearance this year, the birth of his daughter. I saw his former teammate Connor Barwin's an executive producer on this. Dan, I'm just glad we're telling the stories of great beef right now. He's one of the most interesting men in America, and he's getting his moment in the sun. And, and I'm going to tell you, he, you know what, flat out though, he is a good guy. He, yeah. That makes me feel old every time I do an Eagles game because he comes up and says, hello, Mr. Golick, how you doing? And, and it ages me, obviously. But then, then I sit there and watch this guy in pregame, like in pregame, when he goes up to the line and they're working, you know, they're, they're warming up in their end zone. He gets to the line, and I mean, he's like shaking, like, you know, ready to go, just and going full tilt 
in warmups, and that's how he prepares himself. Listen, he's been an undersized guy his entire career, and it hasn't stopped him, but he know he has, he has to overcome the size factor by doing other things, of being smart, being strong, being technically sound. I can't wait to see this because, you know, we talked about the, the possibility of his, his wife having the daughter at the Super Bowl or the, his third child at the Super Bowl last year, which luckily was after the Super Bowl. He's just a good dude. You know, he's got a, he's got a crazy brother who's not married, you know, and, and is kind of living a wilder life and they have a great podcast together. But, but I love it because he's, he, as I said, he's a good dude and I'm looking forward to seeing and that's the best thing about these like quarterbacks on Netflix or any kind of thing is when you get to see the kind of the off the field. You know, everybody sees game day and they see the robot on the field and they think that's the person. And it's not the person, man. He's a he's a husband. He's a father, you know, and you get to see all that those kind of things. And for a guy like that, I, I think it's fantastic. And it's certainly a check mark for you offensive linemen. How big of a loser do you have to feel like if you're in an NFL locker room right now and no one's following you around with a camera? Like you mentioned, we had the quarterback documentary. <laughs> we've got every other team, it seems, doing their own version of Hard Knocks. And now we've got a full-blown documentary that just got surprise made during the season that we all didn't know about here. Everyone's got to step their game up. If you're not making content while you're also running into people, what are you even doing? Um, <laughs> let's get to the third, though, Dad. The first eight people in college football dropped yesterday. No surprise, back-to-back -back defending champion George Bulldogs check in at number one with 60 first-place votes. Michigan and Ohio State, two and three, respectively, followed by Alabama at four, USC, or excuse me, LSU at five, USC at six, and then Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, and Washington, Dad. I know one of your favorites in the Pac-12 rounding out the top ten this year. Yeah, I'm picking Washington to win the Pac-12 this year in their last year, so we'll see. But what's interesting to me is, Mike, three of the top four teams uh, take Michigan away from it. So I'm talking about Georgia and Ohio State and Alabama. All new quarterbacks this year, right? I mean, we have seen those teams with consistency, maybe not the same person, but great quarterbacks coming out and then going into the NFL. And now three of those four teams are coming in with a new quarterback. So... Really, really interesting. Bama, I mean, seeing Bama at number four is kind of a wow moment. But I think if you go back to 2009, they were lower in the preseason poll and they won the title that year. So you never count them out. But as I was going through this, you can kind of sit there and pick one thing or two things off a team and say, well, they better improve on this or they better improve on that. Or who has an early test early in the season? You know, like Alabama, you know, in Texas playing early in the season, LSU and Florida State playing early in the season, and who has like their first five games that are basically walks in the park and are going to be an easy 5-0 and before they get the tougher game. So because remember, in college, there is no preseason. Uh, so you got to go right into it. And that's when early on in the season, some tough things can happen to you, even though the expectations are high for the end of the season. Yeah, we mentioned some of those in the top 10. Big expectations. USC bringing back a quarterback. LSU getting to yep. the SEC championship in year one under Brian Kelly. And Texas right outside the top 10 at number 11 here. Big year for Sark and company. Quinn Ewers with Arch Manning behind his back. All the talent in the world should win the Big 12 on their way out here. But we know should and will are two completely yeah. different sentences when it comes to Texas football as of late. We hope you should and will download, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Leave it a five-star rating. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Go, go, go.
money in the bank.